Amen and amen. I hope you have a copy of God's Word this morning. If you would, open there with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We'll be beginning in verse 53. Mark chapter 6, verse 53. This is what the Word of God says. When they, being Jesus and the disciples, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized Jesus. So they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard Jesus was. And wherever Jesus came, in villages, in cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored Jesus that they might touch even the fringe of His garments. And as many as touched it were made well. Sixth chapter of Mark concludes with this culminating snapshot of Jesus' public ministry. Over the past months, Jesus and His original twelve anointed apostles, disciples, have been traveling across the Galilean region, one shoreline to another, going around teaching truth, going around demonstrating truth. Remember, it wasn't just Jesus, but the disciples as well. As good as Jesus physically being there, carried out His authority and teaching truth and demonstrating truth. And all these teachings, all these demonstrations over these past months throughout the Galilean region, they were all geared toward pointing toward Jesus truly as the Son of God. Jesus truly as the King of Kings. Every teaching seminar, every parable spoken, every physical sign and wonder was to show them that this is the Jesus, the anointed, Jesus the Christ, the one who fulfills Genesis 3.15, that from the seed of a woman would come one who would crush the head of the serpent, who would strike that fatal blow to Satan. All their teachings, all their demonstrations were to gear the crowds to the reality that this Jesus was the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecies, that this Jesus was the one who was giving sight to the blind, giving hearing to the deaf, that the, the dumb would speak, the lame would leak, even the dead raised again from the dead through this Jesus. All their teachings, all their demonstrations over those past months pointed toward Jesus being that very suffering servant that Isaiah talked about in the Old Testament the one in whom His stripes, we would receive healing. It was this Jesus that John, not the Southern Baptist, but John the Baptizer, said, Behold, there's the Lamb of God, the only begotten who has come as Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Anointed, only that He might die and our sins be forgiven. So we look at this sixth chapter of Mark and it's this culminating snapshot where we're no longer these teachings and these demonstrations are, are limited. They're no longer contingent on what geographical location Jesus finds himself in. But the news has spread. The toothpaste is out of the tube, no longer able to be put back in. You know what I'm saying? And as a result, everybody in the region has heard about this Jesus the Christ. The anointed who came to die. And all across the countryside now, 
as, as epitomized here at the end of chapter 6. Those who find themselves entangled and ensnared and, and incited with their infirmities of sin, they are gathering up their burdens that they might take them and cast them upon this Jesus. Those who have been crushed by anxieties are gathering their burdens up that they might go wherever He is and cast them upon Him. Those who have been overwhelmed with depression have gathered that depression up that they might take it to Him and cast it upon Him. Those who are in broken relationships that seemed like they were beyond repair, gathered those up within their own strength and humbly took them to Jesus wherever He was, wherever he heard, they heard that He was at the time, took them that they might cast these burdens upon Him. Their fears, their addictions, their broken relationships, their hopeless conditions. And look what Scripture says. The very last clause of the very last verse of chapter 6. As many as touched the fringe of his garment, as many who came upon Jesus and encountered him, engaged him, not even physically touched flesh on flesh, but just passed by and grazed the hem of his garment. It says, all who encountered such an interaction with this Jesus, the anointed, were made well. Right here at the end of chapter 6, we see this snapshot of Jesus' heart. The heart of God the Father, the, the heart of God the Son and Jesus. The, the very purpose and essential being of, of God the Spirit that we hear about earlier in chapter 6 and verse 34. That we have a compassionate Father in heaven. We have a compassionate Savior in Jesus. We have a compassionate Holy Spirit that lives within His believers. In Mark chapter 6 verse 34 it says, Jesus saw these crowds... And his heart is revealed to the extent that when he saw these crowds, he had compassion on them. He was moved with compassion. The way that phraseology is set up there in verse 34, it says, He was shaken to his very core. The very being of his existence shook and moved him with affection toward those crowds. And in 34 also, it gives the reason why Jesus was moved to such compassion. Because the way he saw these crowds, the way he sees you and me, dead in our trespasses, if we have never professed Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives. He saw those crowds as sheep without a shepherd. And the heaviness, the, the gravity of such a description on these crowds knowing that these were people, masses of societies who were incited, entangled, ensnared, hopeless in the infirmities of their sin and left as sheep without a shepherd, as good as dead. So he was moved with compassion. And as we trace all these encounters over these past months in which Jesus and his disciples were growing across the countryside, which is captured in the last few chapters where we've been in the Gospel of Mark. We see him carrying out these demonstrations of transforming lives as just that, the good shepherd. The good shepherd heals the sick. The good shepherd casts out demons. 
Even in the middle of church service, when men come screaming in, he cast out demons. The good shepherd teaches in authority and equal in the weight and gravity of his authority. He teaches graciously. The good shepherd raises the dead men, the dead women, the dead children from the dead. The good shepherd even calms the storms and has power over creation. He epitomizes the reality that for every curse, he's the cure. Every sickness, he is the healer. Any type of storm, he has within his ability to be the calm. But it doesn't stop there. All these demonstrations of transforming lives as the shepherd is geared toward the reality of what is to come. Because he would not truly be a good shepherd if all he did was fill hungry bellies. He would not be indeed a good shepherd if all he did was heal the sick or provide an antidote of getting across the Sea of Galilee during um, inclement weather. The only way he truly is a good shepherd is when he fulfills what he describes himself as in John 10, 11. When Jesus said, I am, ego Amy, the same phraseology, I am, as God describes to Moses in the burning bush, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And though it doesn't say it between that first sentence and the second in John 10, 11, here's the reality. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd doesn't just fill hungry bellies or make the sick well or help people cross the inclement weather of the Galilean Sea. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And traced all throughout these encounters in the Gospel of Mark where we've been church. So easy to imagine as the good shepherd before the multitudes and feeding the 5,000 and feeding the 4,000 where we'll be in a couple weeks as he takes the bread and lifts it up to God the Father and thanks God the Father because he makes all provision for life. He breaks that bread and he knows what that represents. He knows in the coming days his body will be torn and separated and broken on behalf of all humanity. And that's why we're here today. That's the pause we take in a normal sermon series. That's the very beneficial interruption we allow in the typical Sunday morning service of God's people gathering that we might remember and that we might celebrate our good shepherd. We remember all he is. He truly is the seed of the woman that came to crush the head of the serpent. A fatal blow to Satan. The good shepherd truly is the one who gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, caused the dumb to speak, lame to leap, and the dead to rise again. The good shepherd who is the Lamb of God, who came and lived a perfect life to the point where God the Father said, He is my only begotten in whom I am well pleased. And that was after his teenage years. He was perfect, without blemish, but he took a death upon himself. He died as a curse hanging on a tree that you deserve because of your sin. That I deserve because of my transgressions and brokenness. And he hanged on that tree, separated from God the Father. Those six hours in utter darkness, taking on all sin, past, present, and future of humanity. And he died he was buried, but on the third day, 
breath returned to his lifeless body and he defeated death once for all. Amen? So we gather to remember and celebrate that. So we have some grape juice. We have a little rice cake wafer, whatever you want to call it. It represents so much more. We know this is not limited to Baptists. This is not limited to Methodists. It's not confined to a denomination. But there are restrictions. There are guidances that Jesus gives us. Who should take of these elements? If you have professed Jesus, the Jesus of the Scriptures, as your personal Lord and Savior, we warmly welcome you to take of communion with us today. If you believe on Him as your Lord and Savior, that it was by His death and resurrection, you have righteous standing before God. You are invited to join us in taking of these elements. But if you've never professed salvation on Jesus, if you've never made Him Lord of your life, I would love for you to make Him Lord of your life today. Fill out that form on the digital bulletin. Let me know about it. Make that declaration of your heart during this uh, next time of worship. It'll be your opportunity to take the Lord's Supper for the first time ever. There's another category as well. And that's the reason for the, the rest of our structured service today. In just a moment, we're going to have three songs of worship. They've been prayed over. They've been prepped for. They just haven't flippantly been thrown on the order of service today. They are intentionally designed that we as a gathering of believers may take these opportunities of grace over these next three songs. So walk down here. We'll have three ushers come down and tell you when it's your opportunity to come get it. You take it back to your seat and we're going to stand and we're going to worship and we're going to take the opportunity of grace to prepare our hearts for participating in communion. Based on the instruction of Scripture, maybe during this time, you need to come kneel at this altar and just confess some sins to the Lord. Maybe you need to take some of this time and find a brother or sister in here and confess your sin to them because you've been holding something against them. Maybe you're in this time and you've never professed Jesus as Savior. And you want to look at our bulletin and see those steps to peace with God that you might take of the elements today in a manner worthy of the calling placed on our lives. At this time, church family, I want to pray for us. I'm going to get the elements for my family and I, and then we'll have ushers instruct you when it's appropriate for you to come down. And then at the end of these three songs of preparation, I'll come back and we'll take the elements together. Let's pray. God, we give this time to you. And Lord, we confess in the busyness of life, we don't reflect on all you've done on our behalves enough. So we ask that by the presence and anointing of your spirit in this place, that you would move us to preparation, that you would search our hearts and our deepest thoughts. Enlighten us to any wicked way within us, that we might confess that to you, that we might bring it to the light of the gospel to then so richly and powerfully take of these elements together as the bride of Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus as their Savior, during this time of worship, Lord, I ask that you would prompt them to make a decision, to fill out that form that we might get with them on that decision, for them to allow the holiness of Jesus 
to satisfy your wrath and their sinful condition. We love you. We give this time to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We know in the gospel accounts, as well as the letter to the Corinthians from the Apostle Paul, that Jesus gave the institution of the Lord's Supper. While he was on the earth, he had a specific purpose in drinking that cup and fulfilling the God, God the Father's, the will for his life on this earth. But it was also instituted with purpose for believers like you and me until he comes again. And we know what Jesus told his disciples. He said, every time you come together for a meal, every time you gather and break bread, let the breaking of that bread be a memory. Let it be a reminder of when once for all, Jesus' body was torn apart. His flesh was stripped. His body was broken for you and for me. Says, let this serve as a reminder of that there's nothing special within this wafer and this juice. But the efficacy always lies within the work accomplished through Jesus Christ Himself. Hallelujah. So we come and we gather. Not too much of a meal, but a time nonetheless. And we are reminded of the power. We are reminded that yes, Jesus lived in a body, fully man, fully God, perfectly, and allowed it to be broken and separated from the God the Father, that you and I might have an avenue back to relationship with God the Father. So here we are with this wafer on the top part of your cup, representative today as the body of Christ broken for us. We know also that after that time, Jesus lifted up a cup. A cup that was specifically representative of, of Him having to carry out the will of His Father to go to Calvary and go to the tomb and raise from the dead. But it also represented something beyond that as well, instituted for us as believers on Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior in our following of Him until He returns. And He told His disciples, similar, as you gather for meals, as you gather and drink, as you drink of this cup, as you drink from the vine, let it remind you, just as that vine in the Old Testament represented of God's provision for His people, of His covenant of blessing, of favor, of life, of hope, this cup is representative of God's eternal provision established and secured in the new covenant of His blood, a once-for-all sacrifice that all sins, all sins among those who profess faith on Jesus shall be forgiven. That with the shedding of Jesus' blood that was spilt, though we are as scarlet, through Him they shall be white as snow. Here's the blood of Christ, representative, shed for us.
Father, as the sweetness of the vine explodes in my mouth, God, I ask that in the name and the power of Jesus, that the transformative power of the gospel would explode in the lives of your believers here, that we might go from this place as a united body of believers, declaring our lives in allegiance to you, following you, the King, at all costs until you come again. Father, we ask that as we worship now in two final songs, that you would continue to lavish us with your grace and your mercy, and that you would continue to marinate your, your power in our lives to be ready to go from this place in usefulness as vessels of honor for your renown. Thank you for the broken body of Jesus. Thank you for the shedding of his blood. For I know there is nothing, nothing I can cling to apart from that. We love you, but never as much as you love us. And for that, we are eternally grateful.